have quite a bit we're going to cover today. This is a, quite a passage, but it all talks about the new heavens and the new earth, as I have uh, titled it, The Christian's Eternal Home. God willing, next week we'll get back into the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, but we have just finished, if you use the daily devotional that I provide, we just finished working through the book of Revelation uh, yesterday, and so I thought it would be fitting to bring a message on the new heavens and the new earth. I have preached on heaven, I've preached on hell, but to my knowledge, I've never preached on the new heavens and the new earth. And so uh, this is this, uh, what's talked about here, Christian, this is your eternal home. You will not spend eternity in heaven. I will walk through that. This is what your eternal home uh, will be. Right now, I have three uh, acquaintances in ministry um, experiencing really hard times, difficulties, um, sorrows. One man is a pastor, and his wife is in her last days with cancer. She's home with hospice. Uh, their daughter is with her during the day. Uh, he stays up during the night to care for her. It is really hard. I have another acquaintance um, whose 17-year-old daughter a week and a half ago got the flu. Now, I got the flu earlier this week from some friends in Chile when I was in New Jersey. And we don't think much about it. But this 17-year-old girl got the flu. It attacked the walls of her heart, and she died. I have another ministry friend whose 28-year-old daughter took her life this week. A lot of tears and sorrows and difficulty going on. Then there's the burdens of life that all of us experience as Christians in this world. Um, we grieve the fact that we see more and more around us how the vile and the detestable wins awards and gains the applause of everyone. That's what's on our social media feeds. That's what's on billboards. That's what's on Education, that's what's on entertainment for every age. We grieve the fact that sexual immorality is viewed as moral. It's viewed as a right thing to do and perfectly fine. Drug use is not only encouraged, it's legal and promoted. Idolatry is praised and well-spoken of, and you might say, I don't believe that. Look at how Christianity is viewed and treated, and look at how every other religion, which is idolatry, is viewed and treated. Christianity is always dis dis despised, but idolatry is always raised up. What about lying? Lying, that's just what you do. Everybody has to lie. Everybody lies. And so you, you just do that because it's what everybody does. Our children and young people make poor decisions and grieves our hearts. Our parents make poor decisions and that grieves our hearts. 
and causes great problems for their families. Christians will go from one thing to the next. They're unstable, not all Christians, but many Christians, because they haven't matured in Christ, they're tossed here and there by the newest thing, the newest fad and information. Um, They make a decision and then they make a decision that just contrary to what God says. And Christian, this is the world that we live in. Uh, it's the it's part of life. It's it's like the 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 smoke from the Canadian wildfires. It just gets into every part of life. Uh, and the more you breathe, the more you die. Christian, this world pressures you in all these different things. Pushes you to conform to its mold. It treats you like jello that wants to just press you into it. And you must continually resist that. The challenge is, is you still have a sin nature in you that still loves those things and longs for those things and wants those things. And it's so easy to go ahead and gratify it and push the button and click the, the page and go ahead. The readers of this book of Revelation were experiencing things that we're going through right now. There were Christians in these churches who were apathetic. They lost their first love. There were Christians who were getting involved in immorality. Christians who are allowing idolatry to be present in their churches. Christians who are being persecuted. Christians who are dying. And there were those who called themselves Christians, but they were of no spiritual value whatsoever. They were lukewarm. Remember the church at Laodicea? Jesus gave this book, the book of Revelation, to those Christians to encourage them and to exhort them to stay faithful to Christ, to not yield to those sins, to have a vibrant love, to be sexually moral, to reject idolatry, and all those things. And this same book, Christian, is given to you and I for the same purposes. So that in this world that you and I live in, that is striving to push you into its mold, you can have the big picture that this book provides. Jesus in chapters 2 and 3, he tells the churches there, and he tells Orwell Bible Church, I am with you. I walk among you. I love you, and you will answer to me, Oral Bible Church. He tells the churches in chapters 4 and 5 that he has, Jesus has the authority to bring his judgments on the world. In chapters 6 to 9, chapter 6 to 18, he describes the judgment that he will bring on the world through those series of the seal judgments and the the trumpet judgments and the bowl judgments. And then in chapters 19 to 20, 
Jesus says that he is the one who will come and rule the world in human history for a thousand years. But even in Christ's thousand year reign, and there's going to be, it's, it's going to be as close to paradise on earth in human history as you'll be able to get. Because, well, the only ones who will be present at the beginning of Christ's kingdom are believers. Remember what Jesus said to Nicodemus in John 3, 3? You must be born again for unless no one can enter the kingdom unless he's what? Born again. Where will Satan be at the beginning of the thousand year reign? Locked up in the bottomless pit, Revelation 20 tells us. Near pristine conditions on earth. The wolf will dwell with a lamb. Babies will play with snakes. I know one of those, whoa, I don't know about that. But the scripture says there will be worldwide peace in here. But even during this time of that thousand year reign, there will still be small little hints and evidences that not everything is exactly right on earth. Because there will be babies born during that thousand year reign. Millions and millions of them. And is there ever in a case where there's a baby born who is born without sin? No. Uh, David said in Psalm 51.5, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. People will rebel and people will perish and people will die during that time. But the new heavens and the new earth, that is 180 degrees from the present heavens and earth. This goes back to Genesis 1 and 2 when there wasn't the tiniest fraction of sin present. Yet the new creation goes beyond even that of Genesis 1 and 2. Because all humanity present during this new heavens and new earth will be glorified, confirmed in righteousness, and will experience and enjoy unbroken fellowship with the triune God. Some things we can learn then from this passage. Number one, when will the new heavens and the new earth come? I'm going to quickly go through this because we're going to spend most of our time in the next two points. But uh, several things here. The first thing we see in chapter 3, verse 10, is the rapture of the church. Chapter 3, verse 10, uh, Jesus promised the, Philadelphia, the church at Philadelphia that, well, let's go there, okay? Chapter 3, verse 10. The faithful church. Jesus said to them, verse 10, Because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole earth, whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. So we read here, Jesus is going to cause an hour of trial that will test those who dwell on the earth. That little expression there, those who dwell on the earth, is used almost a dozen times in the book of Revelation to describe unbelievers. World, the, the world and unbelievers and those who dwell on the earth. But these Christians, Jesus says, he says, I will keep you out from that. You will not be present. 
And there's other passages, 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 16 and 17, John 14, verses 1 to 3, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, uh, 57 to 58, that talk about how the Lord will descend to the, the clouds uh, at any moment. It could happen right now. The Lord will descend to the clouds. The church will be raised up to be with him. Uh, this, this is, number one, the rapture of the church. That must happen first. Then number two, chapter 6 to 19, is the tribulation period. This is that seven years of judgment that the, the bulk of Revelation addresses and deals with, those seal judgments, the trumpet judgments, and the bowl judgments. Then number three, chapters 20, chapter 20, verses 1 to 10, is the millennial kingdom, the thousand-year reign of Christ on earth. The millennial kingdom. So we have the rapture of the church, the tribulation period, the millennial kingdom. And then number four, there will be the great white throne of judgment. When uh, all unbelievers will stand before the Lord, they'll all be found guilty for their sin because they have uh, broken God's law. They'll be cast into the lake of fire. And then number five, chapter 21, verse one. Let's look at that. So Revelation chapter 21, verse one. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. This is the dissolution of the present heavens and earth. It'll be gone. And a new heavens and a new earth will be created. And then we have this new heavens and new earth. Number two, as I said, we'll spend most of our time in this in the next point. What will the new heavens and the new earth be like? Well, it's going to entirely replace our current heavens and earth. Uh, the old, the current heavens and earth will be dissolved. How's that going to happen? Hold your place here. Let's go to Second Peter. So you're going to back up uh, the book before Revelation is Jude, and then you have First, Second, Third John, and then Second Peter chapter three, verses ten to thirteen. 2 Peter 3, verses 10 to 13. I don't know about you, but if somebody could tell you what's going to happen tomorrow, you'd probably want to hear about it, wouldn't you? That, that, that'd help you maybe do some planning. You might not want to know what's going to happen tomorrow. You'd just rather take it as it comes. The Lord tells us what's going to happen here. And he tells us why, so that we'll be faithful to him and we'll trust him. Second Peter 3, verse 10. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. You don't know when that's going to happen, and that's the point. In which the heavens will pass away with a great noise. The elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of, the, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, we look for new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. Go back now to Revelation chapter 21. God's going to completely destroy the present heavens and earth, bring about an entirely new heavens and earth, 
a creation untarnished by sin in which righteousness dwells. He tells us something else about it at the end of verse 1 of Revelation 21.1. There is no more sea. Boy, would you like to learn a little bit more about that? So would I. But guess what? This is all he tells us. And so we just have to, okay, I'll believe it because you said it, oh God. Verse 2. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So she's going to have all the freshness and beauty of a new bride. It will have the glory of God and a glorious physical description. I'm going to drop down now to verse 11 and following, to 11 to 21. Verse 11, it has the glory of God. Her light, verse 11, was like a most precious stone, jasper, clear as crystal. Talks about the number of its gates uh, down to verse, let's see here, 16. The city is laid out as a square. Its length is great as its breadth. Breadth. He measured the city with a reed, 12,000 furlongs. Well, we all know what a furlong is, right? No. So what do we have here? Uh, It's about... 1,500 miles wide, 1,500 miles long, and 1,500 miles high. Now, it's hard to get a grasp on that kind of dimension, isn't it? So I Googled this week, and if you find it on the internet, it must be true, right? What is the largest building ever created? And there's some debate over volume in total, and so I just decided I'm just going to tell you what I found It's on the internet, therefore it's true. And we all know, yeah, whatever. There's a Boeing jet factory in Everett, Washington, uh, created in the late 1960s to uh, build 747s. That is listed as the largest building. And here's its dimensions. It's 0.6 of a mile long, 0.3 miles wide, and 90 feet tall. Now, compared to the New Jerusalem, that sounds pretty tiny. But this is a big building, folks. When they first built it, they didn't have uh, sufficient environmental controls. They had clouds forming in the building. It was so big. Uh, So they had to create this. But uh, they had to do that. But even that, it still doesn't really help us. So that's why on the front of your bulletin here, I got this picture Uh, of Mount Everest, what is sometimes called the world's tallest mountain. But even that's up for dispute because that goes by sea level. If you get rid of the sea, then suddenly there's, I think it's in uh, Hawaii, there's a mountain that would actually be bigger. But uh, we're not going to argue about that. Here we have Mount Everest. From sea level to the top, 5.5 miles high. To give some perspective, you look in the bottom right, there's a little guy standing there. See that little mark? That's a fellow standing there. What happens when you get up to, if if you decide, I'm just going to walk up to Mount Everest today. Five miles might be kind of hard for some of us, but we could probably do it. You don't do Mount Everest in a day. It takes weeks you have to go slowly. Your lungs have to get used to the, the, 
less oxygen there. Eventually, they have to have complete uh, oxygen masks as they're, they're making way up there. Uh, people have died. Many people have died going up there because they just couldn't uh, stand it. And that's only five and a half miles. And the New Jerusalem is how big? 1,500 miles wide and long. And this thing is huge. This is amazing. A glorious building. Verse 17 tells us its walls are 200 feet thick. That's 44, 144 cubits. That's 200 feet. Now, we have the descriptions of its wall uh, in verse 19 to 21. And I felt bad for my brother Jim, like I persecuted him and asking him to read all these Chalcedony and Sardonyx and Chrysolite and whatever we've never heard of. But we get to the one, oh, the 12 pearly gates. Yeah, I heard about that. And the streets of gold. Yep, okay, that's heaven, right? No. There are no pearly gates in heaven. And the street in heaven is not gold. That is of what? The new Jerusalem. Now, most of our hymns apply it to heaven. Warning, uh, heads up, the last hymn that we're going to sing today does that. We want you over there. And so you can sing it, and you just kind of grin in your mind, but you sing it and kind of correct it, okay? But you sing the intent of it, and that's what we need to do with these kinds of things. But this is a glorious place. Look at our floor here. Isn't this a glorious floor? Look at these walls. Isn't this glorious? It's paint. It's carpet. Nothing like this. Nothing like this. Look at verse 25. I'm sorry, verse 22. There is no temple in it. Unlike the millennial kingdom, there will be a temple. In the eternal kingdom, there will not be any temple why? Because it says the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. Verse 23. The city has no need of sun or moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illumined it. The Lamb is its light. It says that also in chapter 22, verse 5. This is in contrast to the lake of fire. And the new heavens and the new earth, continual light. No night. What is the lake of fire like? Complete pitch black. Utter darkness. Complete darkness. No light forever. Over to chapter 22. A couple other things that will characterize this new heavens and new earth, the new Jerusalem. Verse 1. He showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. So you're going to have this river of life in verse 2. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. 
The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Now, when we read for the healing of the nations, we can automatically think, wait, are they going to get sick? No, they don't need protection from disease. This is showing God's continual provision and care and preserving them by his grace. That's what's going on here. Remember the, the Garden of Eden? There were true trees there. Remember that? This is one of those. But one tree that was in the Garden of Eden is not here. Remember that one? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Which one did Adam and Eve eat? They ate the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it cast humanity uh, into the fall. There is no tree of the knowledge of good and evil here in the new Jerusalem and the new heavens. I like what one man said about that tree of knowledge of good and evil. He said, the tree whose taste brought death was withered up by the cross because Jesus paid the price and dealt with it once and for all. The new Jerusalem will be holy. And go back to chapter 21. What are some, it's a, some other effects, some other characteristics of it? And this is where we have particularly love and focus and think on. Verse 4, chapter 21, verse 4. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. How many tears will there be? Tears from sadness. Tears from disappointment. Tears from the death of a loved one. None. There will be no death. There will be no sorrow. There will be no crying. There will be no pain. Chapter 21, verse 27, kind of connecting this also here. It says, There will by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie. There will be no, zero presence of sin. One other thing along this line, look at chapter 22, verse 3. Chapter 22, verse 3. There shall be no more curse. No sin and no effects of sin. Now, what I find interesting is I can count on. Now, I'm not saying this to head off questions. I'm not saying this, <coughs> excuse me. I'm not saying this to say, don't come and ask me this afterwards. That's the worst thing. I want you to ask questions afterwards, okay? When you have questions after a message, pastor, did you say this? I didn't understand that. What about this, okay? I'm not saying don't do that. But what I'm gonna say is this. What's interesting is, you know, we hear about how many oceans will there be in the new heavens and the new earth? None. Uh, how much nighttime will there be? None. What about this river of life? What about, let's talk about this glass that's transparent. My point here is this. We all want to know the questions about, the what about that? You know, and how's that going to work out? And this city that's 1,500 by 1,500 by 1,500, this is amazing. We, we have all of our questions about the how and the whys and things like that. But we don't think about, we don't have questions about, we don't blink an eye about the total removal of all of sin's effects. We don't blink an eye about no tears and no death and no sorrows and no pain. 
and no crying. But we wonder about how, how is this going to happen? Where should our attention be then, however? Should it be on the, the pearly gates and the streets of gold? Our attention be, should be on the one who has redeemed us from sin, who saves us from sin, who gives eternal life, who Christian will place you there at that time so that you will never cry, never sorrow, never suffer again. Reminds me of a hymn that we learned a, a month or so ago. The last verse said this. Remember this hymn? The bride eyes not her garment, but her dear bridegroom's face. I will not gaze at glory, but on my king of grace. Not at the crown he giveth, but on his pierced hand. The lamb is all the glory of Emmanuel's land. All the glory that will be in that new city, it will be glorious. But where will our attention be? On Christ, who lived, who died, who rose again, and who's coming again. Number three, who will and who will not be in the new heavens and the new earth? First, who will, who will be there? Well, who will be there are believers who cried and died and sorrowed and experienced pain. God will wipe away your tears. You will never die. You will never sorrow. That is who will be there, believers who experience these things. Look at verse 7. He who overcomes shall inherit all things. At the end of every church, uh, message to the church in Revelation 2 and 3, seven times Jesus said, he who overcomes, I will give. And he points to this. And he says, this is the kind of individual who is an overcomer. It's not a Marine Recon Christian, a Special Forces Christian. The overcomer is the true Christian who loves the Lord, who perseveres in the faith, who wants to grow and is going to be more like the Lord and serves him. Who else will be here? Look at chapter 21, verse 12. Talks about he had a great and high wall with 12 gates, 12 angels at the gates, names written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of, oh, look at this, the children of Israel. God promised that Israel would forever be a people. And God keeps his promises, doesn't he? Look at verse 14. The wall of the city had 12 foundations. On them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. This is pointing to the church. The apostles were the foundation of the church. Ephesians 2.20. And verse 24. Drop down to verse 24. The nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth shall bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. 
we will also have Old Testament saints who lived before Israel and those tribulation martyrs. That's who this is referring to. You're going to have Israel, believers from Israel, the church that's there, and Gentiles who lived before Israel and during the tribulation time. They will be there. Who will not be there? Who will not be in the new heavens and the new earth? Go to verse 8. I don't have to make it up or look on the internet. The Lord tells us in verse 8. The cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Everyone who did not repent of their sin. That's who this is talking about. Because, well, are there any here? Don't raise your hand, please. (laughs) Are there any here who have been sexually immoral? Are there any here who use drugs? That's what sorcerers particularly refers to. Are there any here who worship false religions? Are there any here who killed somebody? Murder? Are there any here... Uh, who were abominable? Are there any here who have lied? That qualifies all of us, isn't it? This isn't talking about having committed a sin. This is talking about the ones who are characterized and are not repentant about it, who don't care that they love that sin and they keep going in it. They will not be and the new heavens, and the new earth. Number two, then, what will they do? What will they experience? Well, what about those in the new heavens and the new earth? What will they do? What will they experience? The very presence of God will be with them. Look at verse 3, chapter 21, verse 3. I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. He will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. What else will you experience, Christian? I might sound like a broken record, but I can't wait, and I know you're looking forward to it. No tears, no sorrows, no death, no crying, no pain. We will, verse 4, walk in the light of the Lamb. I'm sorry, verse 24 will be nourished by the water of life and the tree of life, will serve the Lord, will see his face. Chapter 21, verse 4, flip over there. It also says that we will have, I'm sorry. Chapter 22, verse 4. We shall see his face. His name will be on their foreheads. This is talking about ownership and possession. You belong to the Lord and you belong to him forever. That's what that's talking about there. Eternal ownership, eternal possession. And you will, verse 5, eternally reign. Reign forever and ever. What about those in the lake of fire. The focus is on the new Jerusalem. It's written to believers, but he does talk about 
the lake of fire here in verse 8. Look at that again, chapter 21, verse 8. That list of sins and all liars. And then I think one is the one of the more sobering statements in Scripture. All liars, look at this, shall have their part. That is a sobering phrase to think and meditate on. In the lake of fire. They will forever be barred from the new Jerusalem. Which of these truths do you think is most often denied by false teachers today? The eternal bliss of the saved or the everlasting torment of unbelievers? Which do you think is more often denied? Do you think more false teachers deny the eternal bliss of the saved and they hold to the eternal torment? No, this is the one that they get rid of and they say that everybody's going to have that. That sounds just like Satan in Genesis chapter 3 when he told Eve, you will not surely die. It is a lie straight from Satan. There will be an actual place of eternal bliss, the new heavens and the new earth. And there will be an actual place of endless torment the lake of fire. Number four, the Lord's presence and the new heavens and the new earth. Chapter 21, verse three. The tabernacle of God is with men and he will dwell with them. They shall be his people. He will be with them and be their God. During the millennial kingdom, Jesus Christ will be on earth. He will reign in Jerusalem. And God, as it were, the triune God will still be in heaven. But during the eternal kingdom, the triune God will dwell forever on earth. That might cause us to scratch our heads a bit and say, hmm, okay. Remember back to Genesis chapter 3? There's Adam and Eve. They're having, well, not they, but Eve was having this discussion with with the serpent. And where was Adam during the time? Right there. And what should Adam have been doing? Hacking serpents' heads off. But what wasn't he doing? He wasn't hacking serpents' heads off. Eve is having this discussion with the serpent, Satan. They eat the fruit. And then... We read this in Genesis 3.8. They heard the sound of the Lord God, what? Walking. Walking in the garden in the cool of the day. The very presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But with the fall into sin, that created From that point on, a separation because God cursed the ground. But in the new heavens and the new earth, what do we read will happen here? The Lord God will walk and we will see him. 
We cannot see him now. We will see him. Then what will be? What will we do? Isn't it sad when we think about eternity and we think about, man, it's going to be so boring. We're not going to have anything to do. Just play our harps and fly on our wings and this kind of thing. Well, you're not going to have harp and you're not going to have wings. What will you do? We are told three things that we're going to do here. Chapter 22. Three things. Verse 3. Chapter 22, verse 3. There shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it. His servants shall serve him. That's the first thing. We are going to serve the Lord. We are going to serve the Lord. A second thing. Verse 4. We will see him. A third thing. We will be separated unto him. His name is on our foreheads. We belong to him and to him alone. And we might consider that we're going to serve him. We'll see him and we'll be forever his. And we might think, that doesn't sound exciting. We're thinking of it from the sin-cursed world perspective. Of course it doesn't sound exciting because we're thinking of it from this limited perspective. Instead of a place where righteousness dwells and no sin is there whatsoever. If we are not satisfied with the Lord alone, if we have to add something to God, stop and think about that a minute. Well, I want my Jesus and I want a little world too. That's what we're saying. Even in this world, you can lose everything. And if you have Christ, what? You have everything. But in the new heavens and the new earth, we will have everything. And we will have our Lord. Do you know and experience God's presence and care now? We do, don't we? We read it in the scriptures and We can say with David in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. We know that. It's by faith. It's not by sight, is it? New heavens and the new earth. No more faith. It's all sight. That's the difference. In Christian, that's your home. Let me wrap things up with a couple points of application here. The first, if you look at chapter 21, verse 6, a verse I didn't address yet. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give freely of the water of the fountain of life. I will give the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. This section here, even this, is given as invitation to unbelievers. Hear now. Turn from your sin and trust in Christ. Because once you die, your reservation, as it were, is forever confirmed. You cannot change it nor cancel it. 
child, young person, adult, who week after week you come and you sit here and you hear God loves you. Christ died for you. He rose again so that you could have eternal life. And yet you just shrug it off. Do you see from this passage today that not a time, but an eternity is coming when shrugging Christ off will forever result in suffering forever in the lake of fire. And you will know nothing but tears and death and sorrow and pain and crying while your believing loved ones are with the Lord in the new Jerusalem with no tears, no crying, no pain, no suffering, and no death. Trust Christ now. Today, now, is the day of salvation. Don't wait. Don't say, I'll do it when I get home. Christian, how should this affect you? This truth here about the new heavens and the new earth and the new Jerusalem. Well, devote and direct your life toward Jesus Christ now. Devote and direct your life toward Jesus Christ now. In light of this truth, don't be apathetic. Love Christ. Don't be immoral. Be pure. Don't compromise or hold the false teaching. Hold to God's truth. If you're being persecuted for your faith, people are making fun of you because you're a Christian, endure it. Because those who are persecuted for the Lord are blessed. Don't fear death because you'll be with Christ. My brother that I had talked about earlier, especially uh, my brother Stephen Hamilton, whose wife is passing away from a dying right now of cancer, great grief, but everything he posts on Facebook, the Lord is good. We're resting in him. She'll soon be with the Lord. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't have a name that you're alive, but you're dead. Stop doing that. Don't be lukewarm. Don't be spiritually worthless. Turn to Christ. One last point of application that the readers and and all these that would apply to the original readers and to us as well, always seek the Lord in good and bad times. We're learning about those good and bad times in Ecclesiastes, aren't we? They happen in a sin-cursed world. So what do you need to do? Always seek the Lord. As we seek the Lord, in those good times, we're also having struggles. Sometimes the good seems to outweigh the hard and the struggles, and we're thankful for that. There's other times where it's the opposite way, and it doesn't matter what you're experiencing Always seek the Lord. Cry out to him. Read his word. Meditate. Gather with his people. Encourage one another. Love each other. Sing praises to the Lord. Always seek the Lord.
keep preaching the gospel. That's the good news that sinners need to hear. Let's pray together.